com to plan your getaway today. London Bridge Resort, your Arizona oasis destination. The T.C. Martin Show. Weekday afternoons at 2 on 1400 KSHP North Las Vegas. At KSHP.com. Season's going to end on a double doink, 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 doink. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea. And then, uh... Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. I had an idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. Don't go out there and laugh. Here we go. It is a terrible Tuesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, yes. We'll have some terrible Tuesday takes for you, as we normally do. Jam-packed show coming your way again. We got NBA playoffs, NHL to talk about as well, too. Gold Knights victorious. Getting ready to come back home for game number five on Thursday, leading three games to one. NBA playoffs continue tonight and tomorrow. We'll dive into all that for you. And a whole lot more. Chuck Esposito will join us next hour. We'll talk about the betting side of the NBA playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs as well, too. Plus, NFL draft right around the corner. We'll talk to Chuck about that because he is a big draft guy. They have great promotions over at Station Casinos uh, for draft night. And we'll uh, we'll talk about wagering on the draft as well, too. All right, Al Bernstein will join the program today, our very good friend. And we will recap what took place Saturday night at a sold-out T-Mobile arena. And that was Javante Tank Davis crushing Ryan Garcia. Talk to Al about that on today's show. And we mentioned the draft. No one better than our good friend Trevor Maddich from ESPN to break it all down for us. We're going to talk quarterbacks, top quarterbacks, what the Raiders should do at pick number seven in the first round. All that and a whole lot more coming your way on the show today. TC here along with Numbchuck on the other side, proverbial glass. Beautiful day today. I'm feeling good. A little sore, but I'm feeling good. <laughs> Are you trying to talk on the microphone? Do I want to know why you're sore? Yeah. I, I, I got up early today. Uh, got up it, early today. Are we doing lawn work again? There it is. There you go. How'd you know that? There it is. You know, I, I feel good, you know, after I do. I, I dread it. I, I dread it. I don't know what you're trying to do over there. You're, you're hitting buttons that aren't going off, and so I'm trying to hesitate and play my way here. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, what, good, I'm good now. Oh, you're good. Yeah. 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 No, remember, I have no lawn. Okay. I got rock beds. Well, I, yeah, right? I meant You lawn see these work. hands? You've seen these fingers, you know, getting cut up, dealing with the weeds. Okay. Because I always got to watch out for the weed police. Or the yard police, or the yard Nazi. You gotta love. HOAs. I was thinking about the. I was thinking about the the soup Nazi today as I'm getting up bright and early in the morning, pulling weeds, cutting my hands, and saying that damn soup Nazi. No soup for you. That damn yard Nazi. No soup for you. Damn weed Nazi, weed police. Holy cow! Take that, weed police! You come on by. You look at my palisade right now. You're not gonna find a damn weed anywhere. Forget about it. What is your major malfunction, num nuts? And what kills me is, is they want to, you know, send out these things. And I, okay, I know they, ha- 
I hope. They're sending them out to everybody. But I got people down the street, across the street. I mean, they got they got barrels full of weeds. They don't bother cutting them up or whatever. And I was talking to one guy down in the neighborhood, and he's going, yeah, those people don't care. They just pay the fines. You know? Well, come on. How about beautification? Take care of your yard. So, I, yes, I take pride in my yard, okay? And people that think that I'm a prima donna and I don't like you know doing yard work, I don't. I don't. I got to take a deep breath. I got to like plan a day or two in advance. Okay, I'm, I'm going to do this estate. But that, I knock it out, man. Once I get going, I knock it out. Just like the snow blowing and the, and, the, and the snow shoveling back in the day, 20 below zero. You know, go ahead, get the long johns on, get the Packers parka jacket on, all that stuff. Get the gloves on, ready to go, shadow box, get pumped up, revved up, play my jam, and, and, and you knock it out. And that's the way I feel about weeds. And I've talked before about my biggest pet peeve when I was back in Wisconsin is doing the leaves. I can't stand doing the leaves in October back there. All right? It just makes me sick because it's so time-consuming. And that's how I feel about these weeds and these rock beds. And then you get rid of them, and then they come back again. So anybody wants to do my weeds, there you go. Let me know. You'll have the job. I just don't want them to come back. All right? But then I do feel good afterwards, even though I'm a little bit sore. Okay, I got that off my chest today. There you go. It's Terrible Tuesday, right? It's terrible! It's terrible! It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Well, things haven't gone very well for the Arizona Diamondbacks and really Madison Bumgarner. All right. Now, this story isn't really about Madison Bumgarner being terrible, even though he's terrible. But this is more about the Arizona Diamondbacks because they gave Madison Bumgarner a huge contract three years ago. And I said it when it happened, like, what are you doing? Have you... You've watched this guy. You've competed against this guy when he was in your own division with the San Francisco Giants. And this isn't 2013-2014 Madison Bumgarner anymore. All right? This is 2020-2023 Madison Bumgarner. Well, finally, the Diamondbacks did something good. They designated Bumgarner for assignment. Basically, they released him. Yes, the Diamondbacks will eat more than 34 million dollars which still remain on this ham and eggers contract on the absurd contract that they signed three years ago when they brought him over from san francisco remember they signed madison bumgarner to a five-year 85 million dollar deal back in 2020 now this year how's he been doing well about the same Actually worse, progressively worse he's been over the last few years, right? Since he came over from San Francisco. ERA, 5.23 in 69 starts. That's 69 total starts uh, in his three years. Now, you you think about that, right? 2020, okay, we understand shortened season, pandemic. 2021 full season, 2022 full season, and then a couple starts, handful of starts here in 2023. Only 69 starts. Doesn't seem like very many, right? Well, he's continued to get worse each year and each start over those years. Perhaps his worst outing was in Arizona last Wednesday. 
when he allowed seven runs in only three innings against the St. Louis Cardinals and saw his ERA balloon up to this year. You ready for it? 10.26. Not very good. Well, it might be good if you're an ace pitcher. Might be low, the low pitcher on, on the ERA. But it, we'll talk about the ace later. But in that game against the Cards, Cards hitters mashed five balls at least 100 miles per hour plus and feasted on his fastball. Oh, by the way, what do you think Madison Bumgarner's high point this season so far is on his fastball? What's his miles per hour, do you think? Now, I know you're probably already going to kind of lowball it because of what I'm saying. But again, this guy was a great pitcher back in the day. I was actually going to go like 98, 99-ish. You didn't go that much? I was going to go yeah. that high. Yeah, well, your thermometer is a little too high, my friend. Oh. It's, it's not that hot in here, okay? Mm. It's not even close. He topped 85? out 89. Okay. Topped out at 89 this year. Yeah. Here's the thing, too. He's only 33 years old. So someone will probably pick him up, all right, because pitchers seem to pitch until they're about 40 years old nowadays, right? But here's the deal, though. He's owed around $20.4 million for the remainder of this year. This year? They still got that in the books. $14 million for next year. Now, once he clears waivers, Bumgarner will be eligible to sign with any team for the major league minimum of $720,000. So he's not going to make that money unless somebody trades for him. But already, there are teams that are struggling so far this year, and they're kind of lining up saying, well, maybe we should take them like the Dodgers because they're having all kinds of issues how about the Mets no Verlander Scherzer's got some problems going on right now too who knows but here's the bottom line why would anybody want this Ham and Ager he's not any good anymore hasn't been good for about the last six years shame on Arizona for signing him to that kind of a deal when there were so many signs that said that he was deteriorating as a pitcher. His last two seasons in San Francisco, okay? Go back to 2018. You know what his record was? Six and seven. 2019, nine and nine with an ERA of 3.90. And like I said, progressively worse. In 2020, one and four with an ERA of 6.43. 2021, seven and 10, an ERA of 4.67. And then last year, in 2022, he did get 22 decisions. He only won seven of them. Seven and 15 with an ERA of 4.88. Yeah, Madison Bumgarner, good riddance to him. All right? He's done with the Diamondbacks. Willie Land, we will see. But whoever signs this guy, just make sure you do it for the league minimum. Don't pay him any real money. All right. Baseball. Let's stay there. Let's go back to last Friday. While we're at the Westgate, we're getting ready for the show to air. And what do we hear and what do we see? I always think of Harry Carey saying, It's a beautiful day today in Chicago. The sun was out, not a cloud in the sky. It was a great day for baseball at Wrigley in April. It really was. And the Cubs were rolling. The Cubs were rolling to the tune of 13 to nothing over the Dodgers. So, piques my interest when I walked into the Westgate in the Superbook, look at the big screen, 13 nothing. And then I hear the announcer saying, True Smiley's got a perfect game going. I go, whoa, must see TV now. Let's go. And then the top of the eighth rolls around. And they're playing the Dodgers, who have not gotten a hit. Not even coming close to any real contact, right? 
And Smiley is perfect through seven innings. In the eighth, we almost had history in the making until this nightmare happened. David Peralta actually will start it off. He came into the game defensively in the seventh. Little dribbler, third base side, tough play. Oh, no. Come on. That can't be how it ends. Wow. Got to be a hit. And that is just so unfortunate. Right in the sense of urgency, both guys want the ball, want to make the play so badly. Drew Smiley, that's all he could do. Yeah. Smile. Yeah. Oh, I could do a smile because here's what the television version of the Cubs television network uh, did not pick up here. All right. How does this happen? Well, Smiley makes a great pitch down into David Peralta leading off the eighth inning for the Dodgers. Okay. The ball was hit off the end of the bat and traveled about 11 feet. All right. Came off the bat at a whopping 32 miles per hour. That's right. How about that exit velocity? You like that exit velocity? Gone. <laughs> gone. Yeah, perfect game. Gone. No hitter. Gone. Perfect game. Gone. Instead, Smiley goes to pick up the ball. All right, which he probably could have had a play in Peralta. We'll never know. But he goes off the mound. It's a little dribbler between home plate and third base. Smiley's got it. Goes to pick it up. And then what happens? Boom, shakalaka-laka, boom, in the wrong way. We got Tumblerama. We got Tumblerama because Jan Gomes, his own catcher, comes in and takes him out. Jan Gomes is going after the ball, just like Drew Smiley was. And he runs into Smiley and he takes him out. That's why the announcer are going, oh, no. What, what are you talking about? Yeah, Tumblerama. I just made that up. You like that word? Can I use that? Tumblerama? Tumblerama. I kind of like it. I like it. Has anyone ever, ever used that? I never heard it. I've never heard it. I like it. I mean, let's use Tumble it. Rama. That's what it looked like to me. It's like, boom, they run into each other. Tumble Rama. Horrendous. All right. Yes. So why does he lose the perfect game? Because his catcher mows him down. He mowed him down. It's ridiculous. How about this if you're the catcher? Stay out of the way. Just stay out of the way. You're not going to feel that ball and throw the runner out first. It wasn't like it was... Still in the dirt portion of home plate where the catcher got it and call him off, by the way. Instead, there's zero communication and Jan Gomes goes and just runs right over his pitcher. Crazy. Stay out of the way. And here's the sad part. And again, I feel bad, you know, for pitchers because there were no other hits in this game. There are no other base runners. And that opportunity will probably never, ever come again for Drew Smiley. Smiley's been an average pitcher at best. He's had a couple decent seasons, but not great velocity. Got his curveball really working well this year. Really turned more into an off-speed pitcher. You know his curveball is like 77 miles per hour? I mean, that's very, very slow for a curveball. But hey, 13 nothing. He's cruising. A day you'll never forget. Oh, and by the way, what happens after that? He exits the game. He's got to leave because his catcher, 200-plus pounds of Jan Gome, in full gear, takes him out. Yes. Your no-hitter in perfect game is destroyed by your teammate. Destroyed by your own catcher. All right. Speaking of destroyed, the Oakland A's. They're having a rough season, aren't they? The A's record is 5-18. and 18. They had two six-game losing streaks. Think about that. Two six-game losing streaks... And we haven't even played a month of the season yet. All right? 
10 players on this roster of their everyday players are hitting below 220. Their pitching stinks. Defense is terrible. You have no decent veterans, no name recognition. By the way, no one's showing up at the park. That's another story in itself, as we know. And they have given up at least, think about this, 10 runs in 10 of their 23 games. They've given up 10 runs in 10 games. They lost two games 11 nil, 13 to 1, 10 to 1, 12 to 2, 17 to 6. And how about this one last week? 18 to 3. <laughs> if we were playing softball, these would be 10 run rule games, which would be good. Send everybody home. Instead of waiting two and a half hours, send them home after an hour and 15 minutes. 10 run rule gone. Pathetic. Now, Adolis Garcia set a major league record for collecting 16 total bases against the A's. A record. A major league baseball record. All right? Never been done before. But he saw the A's pitching staff, and he lit up like a Christmas tree. Adolis Garcia had three two-run homers in this game. Three dingers, and they were all two-run shots. He also had two doubles for a total of eight RBIs, okay? And it could have actually been better, all right? His 16 total bases, a record. He could have actually broke the Texas Rangers franchise record in his final at-bat. You know who he was facing for the A's on the mound? No, it was not Vita Blue. No, it was not John Blue Moon Odom. No, it wasn't even Mark Mulder. No. It was infielder Jace Peterson. Face an infielder in his last at bat because that's who the A's are. Oh, we're tired of burning out our pitchers. Who else can pitch? Hey, hey, Jace, do you ever throw in a little bit in Little League? You did? You're on the mound. Go ahead. Take the ball. You think they should just bring back Eckersley? <laughs> just, you know. <laughs> no, they, they need to bring back everybody. Yes. It, that's. Can we, can we make the A's the A's again? Uh, it would be nice. But, man, I love those A's teams, man. Those good A's teams. I mean, going way back 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, the early 2000s. But you know what really what ruined it for the A's? And I'm it's serious about this. And there's a lot of people that feel the same way, too. Moneyball ruined the A's. The book and then the movie. Do you know why? Because they had an advantage. They had an advantage that no other team had. It was the best-kept secret for almost about a, t- a decade. But then when they wrote the book and then they made the movie... Then everybody else started doing the exact same thing. You didn't need to share that. And the A's had this system in place for this, you know, saving money, going about their business. They had analytics down before analytics was a thing. Yeah. But anyway, back to these pathetic A's. It's too bad because I really like this organization and very glad they're coming to Vegas. But back to his final at bat against Jace Peterson. A line drive double down the left field line could have scored Travis Jankowski. But I don't know if Jankowski was a little full of himself, wasn't thinking about future records, just wasn't hustling, or just felt sorry for the A's because, you know, it was 18-3. Yeah, he uh, jogged a third, preserving Hall of Famer Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez's club record of nine RBIs in a game that he did back in 1999. So Garcia got shortchanged because this guy didn't want to run. Could have scored easily. Anyway, the A's will have the worst season of franchise history this year. They are terrible. 
Fans have stayed away. They're now averaging less than 7,000 fans per game. And now with the news that they are officially coming to Vegas in 2027, what is the motivation to improve this team? What is the motivation for free agents to come, especially in the next couple of years, since they're not going to be open in the new ballpark here in Vegas till 2027? This franchise is going to be horrendous for the next few years. Hopefully, they can get better once they come here, hopefully before they come here, and uh, fans won't have a sour taste here in Las Vegas. Speaking of sour taste, oh, my old friend, my old buddy Don King. I used to love it when Don King would promote, you know, the fights and uh, some of my very close friends, boxers, who actually, you know, were underneath Don King back in the heyday. This is not Don King's heyday. People probably don't even know if Don King's still alive. Oh, for the record, by the way, Don King is alive. He's, don't tell Rex Chapman that. All right. 91 years old and was in Las Vegas over the weekend. Why was Don King here? Because Don King has himself a new protege. He's really not new. He's been around for quite some time and he's got quite the history, just as Don King does. All right. I don't understand why promoters just can't pack it up, forget it. He's not affiliated with any television network anymore. The last few shows he's done has been pay-per-view and no one's watched and, you know, no one's heard of these guys that he's promoting. But Don King was in town Saturday because we had the big fight here, obviously, with, you know, um, Davis and Garcia fighting. So Don King says, I'm going to take this opportunity and invite the media. And I think I told you about this last week where I got the invitation to come to breakfast at the New York, New York. You should have. No. Because this would have been gold. I, I, I know. I know. I, I, I probably should have been there for this. You but- should have, and, and you should be the first one to know that, that this was going to be a complete show. C- cluster. Yep. Yes. I, and I knew it because I've seen the cluster with King promotions before and specifically with his fighter that he just signed before. Cause I have plenty of stories about his fighter. Yes. He wanted to capitalize on all the media that was in town. Hey, come you get breakfast on me. Come to New York, New York. And I got a big announcement. That's right. He's attached himself to Adrian Broner. The problem child, Adrian Broner. Yes. Let's take you to the press conference right now that I probably should have went to get a free breakfast for this mega fight. This major announcement coming from Don King. This huge fight with the problem child. Attending this um, momentous occasion. Um, and as you can see, we have a glaring absence. The problem child. And that's why they call him the problem. So if anyone sees him, we just hope he, um, you know, finds his way over here in time before this press conference ends. And we certainly hope he shows up on June 9th. But we do have one man here that we have to recognize, Mr. Bill Hutchinson. Yes, uh, Bill Hutchinson will be fighting Adrian Broner. Adrian, please step up to the mic and uh, address the crowd. Adrian? Hold on. Adrian, it's your turn. Come on out. Yo, Adrian! Yo, Adrian! Yo, Marie, you seen Adrian? Yo, Polly, you seen Adrian? There's no Adrian. Adrian Broner did not show up to his own press conference. It's not like it was in Idaho or Montana. Probably would have showed up in his hometown in Cincinnati. But it's Vegas. He loves Vegas. We've seen him get thrown out of many casinos in Vegas. Adrian Broner did not show up to his own press conference. But Bill Hutchinson, his opponent, who's this Hammenager? <laughs> well, he's the fourth fill-in for him. 
Because they've tried three times to get Adrian Broner, an opponent since King signed him back in March. Not going to work. Not going to work. Not going to work. Hutchinson, okay. Let's have a big press conference. Hutchinson was there. Don was there. But no, Adrian Broner. Did you see how nerdy Hutchinson looked? <laughs> yes. Like, where did like, this guy come from? Oh, my God. This is going to be... I'm glad I didn't go now, because I would have been infuriated. All right? You would have gotten free breakfast. It, you would have gotten a comped meal. It's a totally comped uh, yes, meal. Yes, but I'm not big on the press conference's meals, because, again, I'm a little too bougie for them, you know? I mean, I'm not going to name names here, okay? But there's one establishment now that has fights quite often, and they want to give us box lunches now. Okay, instead of the full-fledged buffet, which was really nice, yeah, a lot of that's not happening anymore. But anyway, yeah, Broner didn't show up at his own press conference. No one wants to see this ham and egger. Broner hasn't competed since a controversial victory over Giovanni Santiago back in February 2021. His only win in his past four bouts, all right, was against Santiago. He had a draw against our good friend Jesse Vargas. He was crushed by Mikey Garcia and, of course, Manny Pacquiao. And now they can't find an opponent for this guy. Three guys, like I said, bailed out, but they got Hutchinson, all right? So how about this comment, all right? Here's a comment. I'll let you decide who the comment was from. Now listen to all this, all right? This is when Don King signed Adrian Broner back in March. This phenomenal team up of superstar, bad boy of boxing, Adrian Broner, and the world's greatest boxing promoter will give the people what they want. Adrian is ready and excited to show his championship skills once again to, for the delight of the great boxing fans. His proud promoter drops the gauntlet to all other promoters and challenges them to bring forth their best fighters to fight superstar bad boy of boxing, Adrian Broner. Come on, Bob Arum, Frank Warren, Al Heyman, Eddie Hearn, and any other promoter with a hot commodity champion. We welcome them all. Who said this? I'm going to guess Adrian, because it sounds like an Adrian quote. Like a third person talking, it's, right? It, it, it's a Ricky Henderson I, kind of thing. There you go. I like where you're going with that. As a matter of fact, this was a person talking in the third person. And the third person was, he said it himself, he goes, the world's greatest boxing promoter is giving you everything right here. He is signed with the world's greatest boxing promoter. These are the words of Don King himself. Uh, <laughs> you were right. It wasn't Broner, but it was King. Who talks about himself in the third person? Uh, you release a statement in the third person. Oh, jeez. I'm sure the breakfast wasn't very good. Anyway, I don't know. There it is. Adrian Broner's back. Please. Listen, last time I saw Broner, I think I told you the story, at the Cosmopolitan, all right? He's sitting in the front row, and then you have the barricade, right? And then, you know, where the officials are and everything. And it was one of the worst fights that, we, that we've that we ever seen there. Uh, I'm sitting there, about third row back. Broner is like two rows in front of us, sitting with Double B and company. And Broner's yelling and screaming at Floyd Mayweather. Floyd is sitting inside the barricade. He's calling Mayweather out. And I look over at Double B. I said, you think you need to get security? Because, <laughs> well, I think they're going to be on it. And then Broner just kept standing up and yelling at Floyd. And then Floyd was ignoring him for about two rounds. And finally, Floyd had said something. Double B, 
Security. Time. It's time for security. <laughs> See you later, problem child. Why would you talk crap <laughs> to Floyd? <laughs> because he wants to fight with him. I know he wants to fight with him. Wants to fight with anybody and everybody but, so he can so make some money. He, Why is Don King calling out Bob Aaron, Frank Warner, everybody else? Bring your fighters because you don't have any fighters anymore. Look at the fighter he's fighting now and he's calling out Mayweather. Opie Taylor. Oh, Opie, Opie, Taylor. Opie Taylor or Mayweather. Yeah. <laughs> Craziest. <laughs> Hockey. All right. Vegas Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. Congrats again to the Golden Knights for winning uh, games three and four. They've actually won three in a row. Games two, three, and four. How about games three and four? All right, we take you live yesterday to the peg. All right, Jesus Lopez, Double B, Jerry the Dentist. We're talking about all this, right? And then what is Double B talking about? The whiteout. All right, talking about the whiteout. All fans wearing the whiteout. It'll look pretty impressive on TV, especially in game three. Yeah. But here's my question. Doesn't the whiteout kind of defeat the purpose when the home team is wearing blue? You're not wearing white, and I'm still mad at the NHL for this, okay? Taking away the white uniforms, the white sweaters, the white jerseys. They Remember, it's been like 20 years now, 2004, and they go, oh, we're going to go dark. No, you don't go dark. You stay with the white. You stay with tradition. Then the NBA got away from the white, and well, the NBA wears whatever they want. But now they make you wear dark. I don't understand this. You're having a white out. Why white? Well, that's what you're used to. The home team is wearing blue. Doesn't it defeat the purpose? How about this? Let's do a promotion and let's have a blue out. Let's have a blue. Have everybody wear blue. Why isn't that harder to do? Probably because more people have white. That's why they do the white out, right? It looks cool, but the Golden Knights are wearing the white. Get You're a, having a white out with the gold, the visiting team wearing the whites. Get a black jersey and do a blackout. Yeah, why not? Why not? And here's the thing about these whiteouts thing. They provide the t-shirts and stuff for you. You go to Golden State, all gold shirts. Go to Sacramento when I was there, all the white shirts. Feel the roar. White shirts. Yeah. Then you got those people that are rebels. They go, no, I'm not wearing this white shirt. I'm going to take it home and, you know, save it. I might get beer on it tonight. I'm going to frame it. Yeah. So you look like a goofball because you're wearing purple or white or red or whatever. Or you're wearing an alternate jersey. Yeah, it's just it's just silly. It's ridiculous. But yeah, I don't understand that. And while we're at it, you know, so much for home ice too. You see the record of home ice the last three days. Home teams are one and eleven in the playoffs in the last three days. One and eleven. Uh, overall grand total is twelve and eighteen for home teams in these playoffs. All right. Yeah, of all the sports, home ice least home advantage in any sports for the home team. Don't like it. Don't like it at all. All right. Let me leave you with this, Nubchuck. Um, You know, I'm a chip guy. I love my chips. You are a chip guy. I love me some Lay's. I love me some Ruffles. You know, I'm a big Frito-Lay guy. Same company, right? I love Ruffles. But have you seen the cost of Ruffles lately? Have you seen them? No. You go down to your favorite grocer. Okay. And you go down the aisle. You know where you're going to see Ruffles, a regular bag of Ruffles, retail price for right now? Box 79. Box 79. Are you kidding me? No. If it's on sale, you can get lucky for maybe $349 or maybe a sale for four bucks. Ruffles have ridges. Ruffles, a bag of Ruffles right now. 
is six dollars and forty nine cents. No, six forty nine, my friend. Go check it out. If you're lucky, you might be able to find it for four ninety nine on sale. Sometimes it's a bag of chips, a regular, and I'm not talking about the party size. I'm not talking about that. Yes, but I got to figure it out. I know why Ruffles not only have ridges, but I know why Ruffles are more expensive because they've got a new marketing campaign. Have you seen or heard their marketing campaign? I'm kind of a fan, but this is why the price has gone up. Barkley for the Ruffles. Hey, Charles. What the? It's barbecue time. Nah, Chuck's always been a little twisted. Asia? Jason? Everybody knows you love cheese, old man. So here's six. Let's do this. I do like cheese. Oh, out. Are you calling old Mr. 20 Seasons? 20 and counting. Well, count on not getting picked today. No! <laughs> Ruffles, choose the flavor that speaks to you. I'll be back for you, Tatum. Yes. Yes, shout out to Asia. She represents Ruffles. She got a deal. She's in the commercial. And shout out to Sir Charles Barkley for not picking number six. Oh, is that your number now? LeBron James 6? That was 23. Who knows what it is? Yeah. I like the ad campaign. But obviously, they're spending their money on Barkley and company and LeBron and Asia and Jason Tatum. That they're charging the public $6.49 for a bag of Ruffles. We're paying for their contract. I'm staying away from the Ruffles. There it is. We're paying for their contract. There it's it is. It's simple. How do fans feel about that? I love me some Ruffles, though. They're good. You know what? I think I got to end, though. I'm going to hit Asia up for some ruffles. I was going to say, you might be able to yeah. get a couple bags. <laughs> Asia, hook me up with some ruffles. I'll lug them. Yeah, go check out the price next time. I'm, I, now I'm going to go. Go just, check it Just out. to do it. Report back. Yep. All right, those are our terrible Tuesday takes. Hit me on Twitter, TCMartin21, if you like. We've got a lot coming your way here. Al Bernstein is going to join us. Trevor Manis, Chuck Esposito. We talk boxing and recap a great fight. A jam-packed sold-out T-Mobile arena from Saturday night. With Al Bernstein next. Hey, this is Tyson Fury, a.k.a. the Gypsy King. And I'm here today ripping it up with T.C. Martin. All right, when are we going to see the heavyweight champ back in action again, huh? I'll have to wait for that. All right, don't forget to come and join us Friday at the Westgate Las Vegas. Of course, our Friday home at the world-famous uh, Superbook. Always a great time there. we got NFL Draft to talk about this weekend. And a whole lot more coming your way. NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup, and uh, a rousy fight last Saturday night. And we previewed it last week with our our good friend who was on the call for Showtime Championship Boxing, Al Bernstein. And when I hear Earth, Wind, and Fire, I always think of Al, too, a Chicago native, like our good friends EWF. And he's even incorporated a little Earth, Wind, and Fire in some of his uh, performances. Isn't that true, Al? Al. Where's that? No, wait, hold on. I, I, I didn't hear that. What was the last thing you said? I said, I, and I believe that Al is incorporated by my request uh, an Earth, Wind, and Fire tune once or twice in his day. Uh, I guess that is true. I am. <laughs> What's going on, my friend? Oh, not too much. Uh, good, to talk, good to be with you as we review uh, the weekend's uh, festivities. I'm just. Uh, Getting uh, back into the swing of things of regular life after a busy weekend. So, Al, did you get a chance to see the diehard Cubs fan that you are, the Drew Smiley near-perfect game? I saw a little bit, and I did see how the uh, it went, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, arrived. Yeah. Uh, but, 
you know, I, I, it's interesting that the Cubs this year, at least they're playing adequate baseball, which is good. Yeah, so Jan Gomes did his uh, post-game um, interviews with a football helmet on. And I guess that's apropos, like a Cubs football helmet. I don't know if you saw this, but maybe it's apropos since he just, you know, bowled over Drew Smiley there. Like, yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. And I feel bad for those pitchers because, I mean, let's be you'll probably ever, never, you know, get a chance like that uh, again. And who knows if the. Yeah, yeah. And, and in today's day and age, you could have a no hitter and be in the seventh inning and they would take you out. So, yep. um, yeah. You know, not only are you not, not only are you fighting the odds of actually doing it, but most of these guys are fighting uh, their managers who won't even let them stay in a game. No question. All right. Speaking of fights, uh, Javante Davis victorious over Ryan Garcia, the seventh round uh, knockout. Uh, let's start with that, Al. Um, give me your thoughts as you were calling the fight uh, there on the Showtime uh, pay per view when you saw the body shot. Uh, what were you thinking? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I We all felt that when we were calling a fight live, when it happened, honestly, we didn't even really see the body shot. It was very hard to, it happened so fast that it was, he was taking the knee and you presumed it was the body shot, but it wasn't until we saw the replay that we really understood the significance of the punch and it was a very good body punch uh by uh davis and you know garcia just wasn't able to uh sustain after that and uh he he couldn't continue and i know you know uh, he's taken a beating on social media i guess from some people uh, the only thing he has the only thing he has not been accused of well i i did a tweet a little while ago in which i said you know on behalf of ryan garcia uh, in his defense, he was not responsible for Watergate. He was not <laughs> at the Capitol on January 6th. Um, he did not uh, do anything with Iran-Contra, and he wasn't the guy that greenlit the remake of The Magnificent Seven. So, you know, let's let's just at least know that he didn't commit any of those atrocities. So. <laughs> Al, was The Magnificent Seven, that the, the newer version, was it really that bad? It wasn't good. I, and I, I love all the actors in it. And you know me, I love every Western. If you put a, a guy in a cowboy hat and a horse in a movie, chances are I will think it's Shakespeare in the park, yeah. right? Um, but uh, this one didn't really work out too well. Yeah, remind me again never to have you and Bill Cartwright on the on on the same show and the same segment, you guys in your Westerns. Because I, I think I got ganged yeah. up last time we did that. Yeah. yeah, we we kind of. I think I believe we we completely shanghaied your show. <laughs> you that, did, wasn't, you did. that wasn't very nice. You did. Uh, are you a fan of Shane? Is Shane, a good Western for you? I like Shane. Yes, there, very good. There you go. All right. So you know, speaking of the body shot, I mean, is that Garcia is getting all this all this flack because of the body shot? I and mean, we've seen some greats go down for body shots, and and now should boxers be shamed for that? I mean, Oscar De La Hoya went down to Bernard Hopkins, right? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, Manny Pacquiao went down, yeah. right? I mean, there's some yeah. greats. Yeah, Morrow made a good point. He referenced immediately the De La Hoya, who, of course, ironically is the promoter right. of Ryan Garcia. He referenced it immediately. I thought that was a good reference. So, look, I understand you know, some people looked at it and they felt, you know, he should have somehow been uh, tougher to continue. I just don't, I'm not built that way. I don't, I very seldom criticize boxers when they can't continue. And I also think people that 
think he felt like quitting. Remember in round two, he was hit by a ver- by one of the best punchers at 135 that we've seen in a long time with a perfect left hand. Well, he got up, continued to fight, and even won, I think, the sixth round. So he was competing, certainly. So it wasn't like Brian Garcia was looking for a way out in that fight. But hey, listen, at the end of the day, you know, we live in an era now where because of the immediacy of how people can react to things, um, things go kind of over the top. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, we have to give credit to Javante Davis because he landed a terrific body shot. And, and more importantly, it, unlike many of the fights that have preceded it, even though he was economical with his punches, he found himself in the middle rounds of a fight where he had not given away very many rounds, where, you know, he was ahead on the scorecards. And, uh, and so, you know, he was, he was controlling that fight. You know, Al, there, you're speaking to social media and, and people jumping on Garcia. Now Garcia has come to the forefront here. I don't know if uh, you followed this story or not, uh, but t- typical social media here confirms uh, Ryan Garcia saying that he had a mole in his camp before the Davis fight uh, after his uh, sparring partner uh, knew Davis very, very well. And I guess you know, gave Davis all this information and Garcia is just, you know, clamoring this and he's going on, on very different, a uh, bunch of different avenues of uh, social media and, and outlets, uh, you know, claiming this. You, you, what do you think when you hear something like that? You know what? It's just, to me, it's white noise. Yep. It really is. Yep. You know, I honestly, Hey, wait, now, now that I, now that you're telling me you said that, I may rethink that whole idea of, uh, Maybe he did green light Magnificent Seven. Hold on. I'm rethinking my, I'm rethinking my position on that one. Um, no, I, it's, all, it's all white noise. Uh, to me, it's all white noise. They got in the ring. They fought. Uh, the result is what it is, and, and that's it. To me, as far as I'm concerned, I, you know, I, I, I very much doubt, even if there was some, I, I doubt if there was somebody even telling any information to Javante Davis in his camp, I doubt that that would have been what would make the difference in that fight. I agree. And Garcia coming out saying, oh, actually sad. I had a mole in my camp. Like, uh, what the, you know what, it's crazy about that. Thank God it was, it was brought to light now. I, I mean, who cares? I mean, the, the bottom line is, yeah. and, and what about this, Al? I mean, what about this, you know, Gar- Garcia, I mean, really taking the fight under these conditions, you know, where, you know, he uh, wasn't able to rehydrate and then the second way. And, you know, we have the second way ins all the time and this and that. But just, you know, he had, uh, you know, it's kind of foolish on his part when you think about it to agree to all of these stipulations that really, you know, kind of hindered, you know, him leading up to the fight where he never had to do any of this for any of his other uh, fights. Well, there have been fights before with rehydration clauses, so it's not unprecedented. Um, and he did take it at a lower weight than he, than, I mean, he fought, in his last two fights before that, he fought a couple of pounds above 136. He fought at 139, and then he fought at 138 and three quarters. So he was several pounds higher, and of course the rehydration clause, uh, which he comfortably made, I mean, he came in, I think at 144.9, so he made it by better than a pound. Uh, how much of an impact did he make? I don't know, but he signed a contract and he wanted the fight. 
and we had to fight under those conditions. Yeah. Um, you know, would we, we'd always rather have fighters just pick a weight and fight out of the course. And I know there were some people that felt, uh, you know, that the rehydration cause could have bothered them, and it might have. I, you know, I can't say one way or the other whether it didn't, but it was part of the the uh, uh, you know the landscape of this fight. And uh, you know, so we'll see. We'll see. I mean, moving forward, uh, Davis will certainly keep fighting at 135. Garcia is likely to move up to 140, which is a blessing and a curse for him because it's a blessing because he may feel feel more comfortable making the weight. It's a curse because the 140-pound division is the deepest division in boxing. The deepest division. There are... 15 to 20 fighters in the 140-pound division who all are excellent. So we've got some big fights coming up. We've got Lomachenko and Haney, uh, Teofimo yep. Lopez, Josh Taylor. Let's throw Shakur Stevenson in the mix, and let's throw Tank Davis in there. How do you, how do you rate these guys, Al? I mean, who, who do you have at the top? Well, listen, that division has... You know, you mentioned Shakur Stevenson and and, and Haney, Daryl Haney. He, they're both of them are terrific. Haney, of course, is the undisputed champion at 135, which right. is of some significance. And all three of those men, those two and Davis, I think each bring many special things to the dance. They're all really, really, really good fighters, and. I recognize that, you know, from a promotional standpoint, a platform standpoint, Davis fighting either of those two men is a challenge, but not an insurmountable one. At the end of the day, when you get to the point where it's pay-per-view, we've seen, we've seen networks collaborate. We've seen promoters collaborate. I mean, I lived through the shotgun uh, marriage between uh, HBO and Showtime when we did the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight. Right. Um, you know, and that'll, and that'll be the book I write when I'm ready to retire. So, <laughs> right. I can hardly wait for that one. Albert. That one, that one, I'm going to wait until I'm really ready to retire before I write it. <laughs> Al Bernstein, he's still, uh, doing his thing. And it was on the call Saturday night at T-Mobile Arena. Al, talk about T-Mobile, 20,000 plus there. Uh, give us your thoughts on how that atmosphere felt, because obviously you have been involved in so many huge fights. Yeah. But then the, the other part of this, how does T-Mobile feel to you as a venue compared to others around town here? Yeah, that's a good, that's a very interesting question. You know, uh, it does, it is a good venue and you could feel the, the atmosphere there very, very much. Of course, we know the MGM Grand Arena has hosted so many great fights and, 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 and that, you know, we've, that place has been filled with electricity. But, you know, T-Mobile, uh, even though it's a big, big arena, bigger, and, uh, where, you know, we normally see the, the, uh, Golden Knights play and, of course, many great concerts. Um, I think it is a good, uh, you know, there have been a number of big fights there already and, I think the atmosphere is great there. And for this fight, it was electric, you know. I mean, obviously, the fight itself turned out to be a little bit more one-sided. Uh, although, 
there were there were moments where even within the confines of that though there was still a lot of tension because everyone was wondering which one would not land the big punch and there were moments in that fight where Garcia looked like he was gaining momentum and maybe his power was going to come to the forefront but so yeah the fight the the atmosphere was great and uh I I enjoyed doing fights there so we know Davis now 29 and 0, 27 knockouts. Uh, people love talking pound for pound king. Where does he stack up in that conversation in your opinion? Well, I'm not a pound for pound guy, so I usually don't engage much in that, but clearly he's one of the best fighters in boxing. I mean, there's no question about that. Where you rank everybody, you know, I don't know because it's mythical, but there's no question he's a terrific fighter. And you know, he he's not only powerful, and we know that, but he he's a very nuanced fighter. And one of the reasons he won this fight was because not only of the fact that he hit so hard, but it was him getting the power, getting to the point where he could use the power, and that required certain boxing skills. And uh, he's a very clever fighter. All right, so the big talk, and we've been waiting for this for a long time. It, we'd love to see Crawford and Spence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were hearing, you know, June 17th, but, uh, you know, Steven Espinoza, you know, the guy you know very well with Showtime was saying, no, no, no that's yeah, too that quick. Was never yeah, real. never, that, that never. Date was not, that date was never real. Right. But I can say that there is a lot of optimism about the idea of that fight happening and and of course you know never over till it's over and as as somebody pointed out that fight has been on the one or two yard line many times before <laughs> yes only, let's punch it in for, come on al carry it in for us all right play fullback bernstein let's go yeah exactly well but the problem is apparently uh, like the seahawks they didn't just give the ball to marshall Lynch, did they? <laughs> no they didn't they, they had to throw pass right <laughs> Just, so, um, just don't let Moro yeah. draw it back to pass, okay? I'd rather stick it in your gut and have you dive over the top, okay? There you go. Thank you. <laughs> I, let me be the Marshawn Lynch of this group. I, I appreciate that very much. I, I thank you for that vote of confidence. I appreciate it. No, the, I, I, I do, I think we all are fairly optimistic that that fight can happen this year and that it is, that it, it is very possible if it does happen, it'll probably be within the next three months. So my guess would be July or August. Um, I'd be even betting more on July. But <laughs> they're all hopeful because the way, the way this, I mean, this has been a really remarkable year for the sport of boxing. And as you pointed out, you listed several really big fights coming up, like Haney, Lomachenko, and uh, there's, there's a number of others. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this has already produced great, great fights. So if the, if the Crawford... Uh, Spence fight can happen this year. That would, you know, be a, a an additional boon for the sport. Uh, and and I'm I'm kind of you know I'm kind of optimistic it may happen. All right, I will leave you with this. I, uh, the most important you know question we have for you: uh, Did you have anything to do with Adrian Broner not showing up to his own press conference on Saturday? <laughs> I you, 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 yes, you caught me. I'm going to make this confession on the show. I thought you wanted the breakfast Hi. like all the other media, Al. I mean, come on, come to the press conference. Don King, here we go. Adrian Broner, and we look at the dais, and there's no Adrian Broner. They're not there. I, there I, did, I can reveal now that I hacked into his Uber uh, account, 
and 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 made the Uber driver go somewhere else. <laughs> Al, Al Bernstein's buddy, Adrian Broner. I know. Oh, too funny. Yeah, I I don't understand that. But then again, it's Adrian Broner. There's, I mean, don't even try to figure it out. That's what I say, right? Well, the other funny thing is that Bill Hutchinson, uh, who of course is you know not exactly a a household name to anyone, right? He was happy to come to that press conference and did come. Yeah, and. As one one writer pointed out, this is my long-awaited chance to ask Bill Hutchinson any question I want. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> so, oh, all right, my friend. Uh, what's coming up next for you? Plug away. Uh, May thirteenth, we have. Uh, uh, it was supposed to be Alberto Puello against Roly Romero. Puello uh, is out because of a, uh, um, uh, a a banned substance being found in his body. Uh, and so uh, Ismael Barroso is fighting Roly Romero instead, and we have a nice undercard on that. So that's going to be on May 13th. And then uh, in June, we've got Julian Williams uh, against Carlos Adamas coming up. And uh, so we've got some nice fights, and then we're likely to have a couple in July. Uh, hoping that one of those will be uh, the Spence Crawford pay-per-view. So we'll see how it goes. All right, my friend. Always appreciate the time. Thank you very much, and I uh, look forward to talking with you soon. And 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 hearing your bellowing voice on a stage uh, at the Tuscany very soon. We will, and 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 I will say this: if the Spence Crawford fight does I was, I, does happen in the next three months. I'm guaranteeing here on your show that we will be doing a musical show that week. No question. There it is. It's not the official breaking news, but it is. And then go watch George Foreman, the movie. You will hear Al Bernstein. Did they, did they get it right? Did you see the premiere yet, Al? Did they, did they? I've not seen it yet, but I, I I did do a voiceover for it. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. I'm I'm, I'm going next week. It starts Thursday. So Um, I'll, I'll give you the review. <laughs> I talked to George. I talked to George, and he's very excited about the the movie. So Good. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Take care, brother. Appreciate you. Take care. Bye bye. Hey, there he is, Al Bernstein. We come back. Trevor Madge is going to join us. We talk NFL draft. We'll talk NBA playoffs with Chuck Esposito, NHL, and a whole lot more coming your way. Don't you dare go anywhere. Terrible Tuesday. You do a lot of talking, all that screaming. Well, you better hope you can play as long as me. Hey, when you get on your knees and say your prayers tonight, pray. What happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. You're going to ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. I know you're going to dig this. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. The doctor is now in. Yeah, boy! Hour number two on your Terrible Tuesday edition. Go to the website, uh, check out the Terrible Tuesday takes, plus all the interviews. It's all up there at tcmartinshow.com. As we continue on, we're two days away from the NFL draft. The Raiders with a number seven selection. Talking about that today. Who's the best quarterback coming out of college? We'll 
Who will it be at number one? All right, let's get all those things answered and maybe even some food questions with our very good friend who has been on a little bit of hiatus because it is the off season, but that does not mean he has not been working because he's working tirelessly on the NFL draft prep work because he is the guru of college football. Like, like I like to say, my man, Trevor Maddich, ESPN. What is happening, brother? TC, you, you should have a side business doing intros to anyone that'll pay you 150 bucks. Because I always feel so much better whenever you do an intro of me coming on the air, man. I'm going to record this stuff and play it on a loop. There it is. Play it on a loop. There you go, man. That could be your motivational, uh, you know, feel for the day, like when you're, when you're driving to work or something like that, Trev. There it is, you know? Yeah. You know, and there, there are days when I think that would really help too. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I know you got such a great musical playlist there that, I mean, you could just, you know, when you're feeling down a little bit that, you know, you can go to one of probably about uh, 4,000 songs and to get you revved up, fired up, pumped up. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe that's something I need to, I need to do a little, uh, shift here. You know what I've been, uh, I've been kind of heavily into recently as I've been doing a lot of driving is, uh, Pink Floyd, the wall. Okay, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, if if we could just, you know, to get your mood up, even though I already got it up for you, oh, no, you know, where where would... where would we go right now? Where would we well, go with no, music selection? P- p- well, let me tell you this: the, the wall does not get your mood up. That is a an incredibly dark uh, album, but comfortably numb has my favorite guitar solo of all time. It is it is brilliant. It is mesmerizing it it reaches into the darkest recesses of your soul and squishes those recesses with its fist it's it's just amazing that guitar solo and i just can't get over listening to that but i gotta stop listening to that i gotta listen to something happy what's happy happy by uh um what's the guy with the hat but pharrell you know, Brown, you yeah, make me yeah, happy. Yeah, there we go. I say we, I say yeah, we go from go. comfortably numb to, really to anything happy. by Bruno Mars. Anything by Bruno Mars. Oh yeah. Even okay. the sad songs by Bruno Mars sound happy. There it is. <laughs> and Trevor Madge goes, uh, the guy with the hat, because that's what you think of with Pharrell. You, th- you yeah. think about the hat. That's what you think about, right? There it is. I think that's what we need is we need, we need a nickname or a hat. <laughs> it's like my wife and I just got through watching Deadwood and it's like, okay, well, why does anybody know about Calamity Jane? <laughs> Because it's the greatest nickname in the old West. <laughs> Crazy so you gotta have a great hat or a great nickname. And there he comes, ladies and gentlemen. He's uh, coming out of his driveway. He's getting his car. Look at a little snappy beat he's got going today. It is Trevor Manage. There it is. Come to the line of scrimmage. Down. Set. Blue 42. You know what I feel like now? I feel like a room without a room. Come along if you feel like a I haven't heard this one in a while. I mean, this is a thing for a while. It does pump you up a little bit, I gotta say. All right, Trevor, so let me say this. Uh, the Carolina Panthers on the clock. Who is going to make them happy? Oh, I think the, I think there are CJ Stroud of Ohio State or Bryce Young of Alabama have the best chance of making them happy. But both of them also have a chance to make them very, very sad. And Bryce Young, the only thing is durability. Everything about Bryce Young is, is phenomenal, in my opinion, as a quarterback. He's not tall, but for goodness sake, he played in the SEC behind massive offensive linemen, NFL caliber offensive linemen, at least NFL size. 
offensive lineman against NFL size defensive linemen. And we saw him two years ago win a Heisman Trophy when he had great receivers. This last year, his receivers were abysmal. I mean, I'm still mad at the Alabama receivers from 2022 for dropping so many passes and being so inconsistent with their routes and not helping Bryce Young, but Young did one of those things that he's going to have to do if he's drafted by the Panthers, and that is elevate the team around him, which isn't very good yet. He elevated that team last year to way better than it should have been. They were two plays away from going to the playoffs, maybe one play, and it was only because of Bryce Young. And so, you know, but because of his size, he's not real big. He doesn't have, you know, he has kind of slender hips. You know, does he have the durability? We'll we'll figure that out. C.J. Stroud on tape did everything pretty much you'd want him to do to be a, a top pick. But there's rumors out now that the the cognitive slash personality test, now S2 or something like that, it used to be Wonderlick, that he scored very, very low on that test. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But the rumors are swirling that he scored so low that no quarterback has succeeded in the NFL having scored that low on that style of a test. Is that true? I don't know. But now the Texans are saying they're number two. They're saying that even though they have been in quarterback purgatory forever, they thought they got out of it with um, Clemson guy who's in Cleveland now, um, Deshaun Watson. Um, but he had personal problems, so he wasn't there. And they're talking about how if Bryce Young is available at number two, they won't even take a quarterback. They'll go a different position. And they're desperate for a quarterback. And so there's drama with C.J. Stroud right now because he's being called the essentially the Forrest Gump of this draft. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't think that's fair, but that's what's swirling around out there. I mean, the Kardashians are probably on the phone right now with their producer saying, why can't we? have as much drama as has been ginned up around CJ. <laughs> so, again, you know where I stand on this. I And I don't definitely respect your opinion because you've seen so much tape with these guys. But I'm a Bryce Young fan. And, you know, I'm, and I don't care for CJ Stroud or really anybody from Ohio State. Okay, so I'm a little biased. Uh, oh, go blue. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to that, I mean, I like Bryce Young. But give us, give us the the skill set um, lineup here or the matchups between these two guys. And then we hear Will Levis's name when we've talked about that before, but you know, I think he's, he's down the road. I'm just tired, Trevor, of these teams reaching for quarterbacks because, oh, it's the quarterback. I said it with Trey Lance and I've said it with Sam Darnold, said it with the Zach Wilson. It just, it just makes me sick. And with Bryce Young, you know, yeah, he's on the shorter size, but I mean, if, if we look at a whole body of work, in his skill set, in his mindset, let's don't forget that. And to me, that goes at the top of the scale there. I like Bryce Young. I like him, too. I like him, too. And, and I like his accuracy, his anticipation. But especially I like his savvy and moxie under pressure. There you go. One thing that he does so well is utilize his quick release to beat pressure. His release from the moment that he starts his throwing motion to the time the ball's out is as fast as the fastest in the NFL. It's just lightning fast. And what you'll see him do on tape very often is have a free runner coming right at him. And instead of just throwing the ball wherever he could or throwing it away, he'll pause an extra beat just to let somebody come open. Then he'll hit that guy, and he'll avoid taking the big hit because he still got the ball out before that, that defender was close enough to deliver the big hit without a flag. And the fact that he's got the, the moxie 
to stand in under that pressure and make that last instant throw and have it be accurate and know where to go with it when most quarterbacks would be would be just bailing on the play is the thing I like best about it. That's one of the reasons I was so mad at his receivers last year because they weren't in the right place so he could anticipate those things. He had to wait to see where they were before he could throw the ball too often instead of anticipating where they were supposed to be. And that meant that defenders had more time to get to him, and he took a lot of hard hits last year so he could get the ball out because he had to wait wait on the darn receiver because the receiver wasn't consistent. And then too often that receiver would then have the ball hit him in the hands and drop it while Bryce Young was dragging himself up off the turf to run the next play. And they still were, you know, one play away from the playoffs, maybe maybe two play, not game, play. Anyway, so so I, this is these are the things I like about Bryce Young. Did we lose Trevor? Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I hear you now. Yeah, I don't know what happened. All right. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, if you, if you got that, I like his moxie under pressure more than any other single thing. Okay. So if you're the Texans, this may sound crazy, but if you really love Bryce Young and you don't like anybody else and you don't like C.J. Stroud and you're afraid that, okay, that Bryce Young's going to be gone, that we're going to go in a different direction. If you don't like that other position player as much as maybe you like Bryce Young, would it be wise for the Texans to try to swap and sweeten the pot with something else and, and trade up and get that number one to get the guy you really want and need? Yeah, it, could, it could be because both the Panthers and the Texans have a lot of holes to fill. And going from number two to number one is, you know, it's it's not, it's not, you know, it's one space, uh, but it's from two to one. And if the the Panthers like C.J. Stroud or one of the other two quarterbacks, then they might they might be willing to do it to get some extra draft capital. But it really depends on the Panthers at that point. If I am um, if I'm um, the Texans, though, you know, if I, I am more likely to stay where I am. And use the draft picks that I have to fill other parts of the roster because they are, they're just, they're just, they're just really unfortunate. The Panthers, excuse me, the, uh, the Texans with their roster right now, they have a lot of holes to fill. All right. So the Raiders are at number seven. All right. And yeah. they, they need several things as we well know. All right. Where do you think the Raiders should go or will go with that seventh pick? Well, I think corner is the place that they're most likely to find a guy that they um, would be happy to take from a grade standpoint. You know, it's very possible that that one of the other three quarterbacks besides C.J. Stroud, we're talking about uh, Richardson from Florida, Levis from Kentucky, and then, um, I'm sorry, my brain is freezing right here. Um, well, I mean, I, I think Stroud, Richardson, and Levis. Yeah, those three guys. Right. It, you know, if, if they're looking to to get the quarterback of the future and let him sit behind Jimmy G for a while, you know, they may have one. They likely will have one of those guys available uh, at number seven, which I think would be a bad move by the Raiders. But at corner, they're going to have some guys that are going to be impact players, and it coincides with a position of need. Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon 
is a guy that runs in the four three range. He's incredibly fluid. He's not terribly physical, but he'll be a lockdown cover guy for a long time. Um, Witherspoon out of Illinois is kind of the opposite. He's not nearly as fluid as Gonzalez, but he's fast and he's physical. And so depending on the style of play that you want, these are guys that are going to be available there at number seven most likely and give the Raiders an impact player. I don't think any offensive linemen are worthy of the pick at number seven. And I think they'd be reaching for uh, an edge rusher They've already got a couple edge rushers. It's not like they're desperate for that. They need depth behind them. But, you know, I think right now corner would be the best spot from a standpoint of the combination of need and player likely to be available that's worth the seventh pick. Let me ask you this. I mean, when you say cornerback, I mean, we've seen the Raiders reach for cornerbacks before, and they have not worked out. We've seen a lot of teams reach for that position. When you have the number seven pick, I mean, don't you feel that, okay, unless this guy is a Charles Woodson type, I, I, I would stay away from cornerback. I just think that, you know, when you, especially when you have so many other needs, offensive line, you know, linebacker, secondary, um, and then if you, if, if there's a game breaker out there, whether it's, you know, a wide receiver, I don't know, tight end, they're going to need now as well, too. I just, I just, I'm just thinking, you know, uh, a, a, a cornerback at number seven is almost a reach. I don't care how good the guy is because the two guys that you're talking about, I mean, you know better than I do, but just from what I saw, I mean, those guys are good, but are, are they game changers? Are they franchise uh, changers? I don't think so. Well, they, they have a chance to be. They're graded that way, especially Christian Gonzalez. He's got the highest grade of any quarterback or of any corner, uh, as per the, you know, NFL, um, their own scouting combines. Now, different teams will grade them differently, but the combines have graded Gonzalez that way. But from a standpoint of, of the other players in those other positions, there are, um, there's guys. And if they don't want to go with corner, you know, they can't, I, I kind of like, Going with corner at that spot. The big reason is that, uh, it's a quarterback league and you've got a couple of ways that you can have an edge at the quarterback position in any given game. One is for your quarterback to be better. Another one is to have a better pass rush than the other guy. So you can affect and disrupt and degrade the other quarterback. And another is to have lockdown corners. That will allow more time for the pass rush to get there. And so, you know, drafting a corner, if you think he's worth the pick at that point is great. You and I have talked about Jalen Carter, though. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the defensive tackle out of Georgia. I think he's the best individual position player in this draft. Uh, the very best position player. And he's going to drop. He's not going to be the number one pick in this draft. Uh, you'll have a quarterback there, but he probably won't be the first position player either. And I would ask you, now that we've had a chance to kind of let this marinate a little bit with the needs that the Raiders have on the defensive line, the interior defensive line, do you think that the fact that what might make him fall is the fact that he was involved in drag racing, allegedly, that resulted in the death of two people? Do you think that because of the Henry Rudd situation a few years ago, the Raiders would just cross him off their board? See, and, and that's the, the big multi-million dollar question here is, is, you know, again, it's the Raiders and is this community. And I think there is that, that feel that you're going to get so much pushback from fans, specifically 
the crime that this guy committed. When you're talking about the death uh, of two people via the drag racing, like you mentioned, the Henry Ruggs situation is still so fresh. But, you know, he came here and had a visit, and the Ra- Raiders vetted him, and everything that I'm hearing is the Raiders are really like him. And what's not to like from a physical standpoint, we get that. So then it comes down to skill set, performance, you know, your past performance or character. And, you know, on the surface, the character doesn't look good. Now I know he's saying all the right things. I know he had said all the right things at the combine, but again, for the most part, I mean, who's not going to say the right things? Uh, you know, I think you have to look beyond that incident. Were there any red flags with him prior to that? Um, you know, like all the Joe Mixon stuff is coming out. We knew what Joe Mixon was like at Oklahoma. We knew what Joe Mixon was like before. Then how he's still having these same problems. So, I mean, if it's me, Trevor, I don't want nothing to do with the guy because I still think that you can fill a void for your football team. And there's no guarantee that Carter is going to have this fantastic, uh, NFL career. I know he looks like a machine. I get that. But man, it, to me, it's such a questionable, decision and i know the raiders are thinking about it and i think they're thinking if he drops to seven and if he's there uh i would say there's maybe a 65 percent chance that they pull the trigger and then they'll have to deal with the aftermath afterwards yeah i think most people agree with you on that uh to make the other side of it though to make the other case it's that henry ruggs was behind the wheel of the car that crashed um according to police reports jalen carter uh, was involved in drag racing, but his car didn't crash. The one that did was being driven by uh, an employee of the University of Georgia who, according to reports, had blood alcohol level twice the legal limit. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's, you know, still he was involved and I get that, but that, that, that's one thing. Another, another thing that I think is a concern is what effect did that have? I mean, he didn't participate in the combine for the most part because of that, um, and because of charges, uh, filed against him by the police. And then, uh, on his pro day, apparently he had gained a lot of weight and wasn't able to really go through those workouts on his pro day very well. And so, but when you think, okay, you're a college kid, you just won the national championship and now you're involved in a situation like this and maybe you take solace in, in cheesecake. You know, I mean, a lot of people would. I probably would, for goodness sake. I can't even imagine having that on my conscience, right? right. And so, you know, it, it'll just be their their research. You know, I, I look at this example, though, because you mentioned Joe Mixon, who's in Cincinnati now at Oklahoma. He was suspended because he punched uh, a student, a female student right. who was sitting down in a cafe, punched her in the face, broke her jaw in a bunch of places. They had to wire her jaw shut. Right, it was it was it was a horrific thing, and then that was the only wasn't the only thing um, that he did. That was the worst thing that he did, uh, as far as I know. But look at Jeffrey Simmons on the other side of that, though. He's now all pro defensive lineman for the Tennessee Titans. Great citizen, great guy, great teammate, great player. Coming out of high school, uh, he was involved in an altercation that his sister got into a fight with another person that they knew. And that other person, a woman, had his sister on the ground and was beating on her. And Jeffrey Simmons jumped in and joined the fight to protect his sister. But in doing so, he punched that that female, that woman, young woman, this is in high school now, who was punching on his sister. That's as his story goes, right? Well, Mississippi State, a lot of colleges pulled away from him from a scholarship standpoint when that happened. Mississippi State 
researched everything, talked to teachers and classmates and stuff like that, going back to the fourth grade about this guy. And what they found was that that was the only time he'd ever been involved in anything quite like this. And it's not like Joe Mixon where he walked up to a woman and punched her in the jaw. You know, I'm not saying that what he did was justified, but I'm saying that Mississippi State did their due diligence and decided that they would give him a second chance with conditions. And Jeffrey Simmons met all those conditions at Mississippi State, was a great player and a great citizen for them, and now he's the same thing in the NFL. So Joe Mixon's issue, Jeffrey Simmons' issue, you know, they've gone into different trajectories and different paths. I say these things because the Raiders will need to decide which trajectory they anticipate Jalen Carter will go on because if he drops to seven and they think that Carter is more of a, of a Jeffrey Simmons than a Joe Mixon, then it could well be the steal of the draft. Yeah, and again, it really depends on the individual. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, no two guys are the same. And just how they, you know, you know, what they believe is right, what they believe is wrong. Uh, can they adapt to, um, you know, and bounce back from situations, you know, deadly situations like that? It really depends on the individual and what type of support staff, uh, does he have around him? So it's, it, it's really big for the Raiders. And I, and I know the Raiders don't, they probably wish they weren't in this position. Like, oh my God, I wish, you know, hopefully this guy gets taken ahead of, uh, and then we don't have to worry about it or whatever, because there will be a lot of scrutiny if he is still on the clock, uh, and, and he's available. Then they're going to have to make that decision. And I think, you know, maybe a lot of people think that Jalen Carter may go to Seattle because he could fit that need. And people think of, about Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll, what he did at USC and dealt with, you know, a, uh, he's, 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 you know, used to thrive in that community, you know, there and, in, in uh, you know, East LA, South LA and, you know, the Compton area and all the things that he used to do and, and try to, you know, get kids and players out of those environments. I mean, Pete Carroll's always been a community guy and he's a second chance guy as well, too. So do you think maybe that, Pete Carroll and the Seahawks take a shot on Carter. Yeah, a lot of people have have Carter not falling past the Seahawks. But then when you look at the Raiders then and what they what else they might do, I mean you mentioned offensive line. And when you're picking a seven, you need a guy that's going to be an impact player. Yes. You don't want a guy that's going to be a good steady performer for the next ten years at seven. Seven needs to be a, a guy that wrecks the other side. He's he is more than just hold down his position. And of all the offensive linemen that are available, there's only one that I would take in that position, and that's Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. Now, he played tackle for him uh, for Northwestern, and uh, he is the highest-ranked rated offensive lineman by most scouts that I've talked to. Uh, he's the, the highest-rated offensive lineman that, that I would say as well, although I like Broderick Jones out of Georgia too, but I wouldn't necessarily take him quite that high. They say that his arms are a little bit too short to play tackle in the NFL, but they certainly weren't too short to dominate in the Big Ten. And the thing is, he could play tackle or he could shift inside. Either way, he's the kind of player that is an impact player as an offensive lineman at number seven. If they decide, once again, to coincide with need and grade, that offensive lineman, Peter Skaronsky, would be a guy that they could take there. The thing I worry about Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech, he's an edge rusher, and he's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the guy is the guy is scary. He's one of the most talented players in this draft, and I think he's going to be a, a terrific NFL pass rusher. That, if the Raiders take him, what they'd be doing essentially is drafting for best player available, not for need. 
And I would like that. I would be okay if the Raiders did that. Because, you know, if you, especially up high in the draft, if you draft a guy that's clearly rated lower than another guy because you need that lower rated player's position, what you do over the course of time, if that's what you do, is you end up populating your roster with a lower overall level of talent. And so, I mean, I mean, you have to draft for need at times. And, and the way you do it, though, is you say, okay, well, if we've got a couple of players that we like here, they're fairly close. Um, and one of them's a player of need, but he's slightly graded lower. Well, we'll take that player of need. That's okay. But you don't want to reach for a guy, especially when you're drafting that high, because it's a player of need. And I, I think that if Tyree Wilson falls to seven, and if the Raiders end up taking him, it will show, I think, a, a really high level of, of operation um, with their front office because they would be taking the best player available, even though they've got guys that can rush the passer right now. You know, when you're talking about game wreckers, okay, in college, Will Anderson was that guy, right? I mean, he was one of the most highly touted guys, came back last year, and that's all we talked about. And we hear he's a good character guy. Is Will Anderson that kind of guy where he can just be a a, a game wrecker, or is Will Anderson just a safe pick? He's both. Will Anderson was a game wrecker in the. And SEC. where do you see him falling? Uh, I I could see him going number two to the Texans. I mean, I could see him going that that high. He's that good of a player. If there's a knock on him, instead he runs four six, and so would he be able to cover the the fastest of the uh, the running backs coming out of the backfield and things like that? But for goodness sake, he's he's over six three, six three and a half, two fifty three, and he runs a four six. And he's got skills, and he can line up all over that defensive front. You can put him on either edge. You can put him inside linebacker. There's all kinds of things he can do. You can drop him into coverage. You know, you can blitz him. There's just he's just one of those guys that is an absolute wrecking ball. And if he falls to number seven, the first thing I would be thinking as a Raiders fan is, well, what's wrong? Is there an underscored injury somewhere? What what happened? Because there's no way in the world Will Anderson should be there at seven. Mm-hmm. All right, he is Trevor Manich, uh, ESPN college football analyst, does a fantastic job. And uh, how much time have you been spending on this draft, Trev? Have uh, you been burning the midnight uh, candle or what? Yeah, pretty much. I've been um, I've been trying to figure out who I like and who the sleepers are and and things like that. My favorite player in the whole draft is Darnell Washington, the tight end out of Georgia. He he might slip into the first round late, but he'll—I think—he'll be the biggest individual matchup nightmare in the entire draft. He's six-seven, about two hundred sixty-five pounds, um, and super powerful. And he's got the ability to split out and line up as a wide receiver. And who's going to cover a guy six-seven, two sixty-five at the wide receiver position? Who's who's going to do that? Right now, he's raw in terms of route running and stuff like that. But, you know, he's, he's an outstanding blocker. So th- there's guys like this that are going to end up steals for people as well. I love matchup nightmares, yeah. and he's one of those guys. Great stuff. All right. Trev, we'll leave you on this. Uh, quick comment. The trade finally goes through. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. Uh, he will not wear number 12. Uh, even though that uh, Joe Willie Namath said, hey, you can have my old number, that's okay, but Aaron Rodgers is going to go back to his Cal days. He's going to wear number eight. But uh, there, there's a former number eight with the uh, New York Jets that's not too happy about that. Can you name that number eight? Because number eight says, hey, man, I don't know about this. I, I was a heck of a player. 
They should be retiring my number. That would be the famous number eight. Yes. Now, who would that be? I... That would be the number eight, Nick Lowry. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. <laughs> How about that? Well, number eight. Nah, that's a kicker. That's probably, that's probably negotiation, man. That's probably actually snapped for him. Holy smokes. I should have known that. Yeah. Um, the, uh, he should a great guy, by the way. He, he, uh, he might be negotiating, though. He's probably wanting to check for $50,000, um, <laughs> you know, to use the number. Um, well, lucky, lucky, yeah. uh, he, Rogers doesn't need his permission for that because, you know, Nick's, uh, he's been out of the league for quite some time. But yeah, Nick, Nick said, Hey, wait a minute. He goes, I was a pretty damn good number eight. You know, come on now. And now we're talking about him in Las Vegas. Way to go, Nick, man. There you you go. know, leverage what you can leverage. <laughs> All right, brother. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Uh, make sure that, uh, you still stay hydrated. Uh, again, you eat well. Stay away from, uh, the cheesecake. Okay. We don't need you ballooning up anymore, you know, before your TV time starts. Yeah. I'm actually down 25 pounds from the end of the season. Man, so, oh boy. Look at uh, that. My hope is that you won't recognize me when, uh, when I see you next in person. Well, hold on. We're already having problems recognizing you. We're going with a beard and now you're dropping weight. You're going to be unrecognizable. Don't do Don't do anything drastic, my friend. Now. Okay. I mean, come come to Vegas. You know, shave the beard. We'll put a few poundage, uh, more pounds on you. And then, uh, you know, figure out something else. Maybe you can like start wearing, you know, pink or something like that. Uh, you know what? I do have a pink shirt and that was hard for me. And a couple of purple ties. I mean, I, it took a long time for me to get off of nothing but red ties and uh, a couple of yellow ties. And so it's, um, I, I feel very adventurous. Wait, wait, I got it. I, I got the look for you. That's right. We'll go with the hat. We'll go with the Pharrell hat. That's what Trevor Maddich needs on ESPN. No, no, it couldn't be that. Now, the only hat that I would wear is the best cowboy hat in existence, and that is Kevin Costner's hat in Yellowstone. Oh, here we go That's again. More, more westerns. You, Bill Cartwright, Al Bernstein, you guys are just torturing me with the with the westerns. And then the cowboy hat talk again. Here we go. Look at that. How are you Look, in Spurs? Are you good in Spurs? I mean, Am I going to the Spurs? Yeah, are you good in Spurs? You know, on horses, Spurs? What, what, what? Oh, horses. No, no, no. Listen, if I get on a horse, that horse would immediately get the other horses together and form a union. <laughs> They're just, I am, no. A horse, a horse. I mean, I get on a Clydesdale, and the Clydesdale would look back and say, really? You know what, Trevor? I'm, I'm just bigger than a horse, if, usually, if, myself. If uh, I could get Mel Brooks to remake Blazing Saddles, Trevor would be my Mongo. I'll be Mongo. You'd be Mongo. And you could punch well, out the horse. Well, and, and I just hope someone will send me a candy gram. <laughs> Can we please go out with some Blazing Saddles? We're not going out with Yellowstone. Okay? Yeah. I mean, this is depressing. Okay? I know it's great. I understand that. Trevor loves it. But we are going out with something rip-roaring, and that's it. You know, Mongo like candy. Yeah, there we go. We'll, we'll go yeah, out with Candy Graham from Mongo. There it is. Oh, there's a movie that could never be made and really can't even be watched anymore. So <laughs> uh, that one, that was a major league, man. They're the Cleveland Indians. No. Uh, I know. They're going to do CGI to change to the Guardians now. That's terrible. What do they do to my major league movie? Uh. The best Western of all time. And I tell Cartwright this all the time. Blazing Saddles. There it is. Ah! All right, Trevor, we'll let you go to the whip, brother. We'll talk to you All soon. Right. We'll recap uh, next week if that's cool with you. I, appreciate I can't wait to see what the Raiders do because they have some really interesting options. Yeah. 
I want to see what Black Bart's got to do. That's what I want to see. There we go. There we go. Where's Gene Wilder when you need him? Unbelievable. With that with that cowboy hat and the perm underneath. That's what I'm talking about. Harvey Corman, classic. Yep. Harvey Corman. Yeah. Take care. Harvey Corman. Take care, brother. Appreciate you. Um, See you later. Thanks for having me on, You got it, buddy. There he is, Trevor Maddich. One of my all-time favorite movies of all time. I think I saw this when I was 11 years old. Snuck in the theater to see this. Fantastic. All right, we come back. Another cowboy. Chuck Esposito will join us. Is it Dallas Cowboys? No. Chicago Bear. What are you talking about? There it is. All right, we come back. More NFL draft. Plus, we got NBA playoffs to talk about. And the Vegas Golden Knights winning three in a row on the cusp of closing out the Winnipeg Jets on Thursday. He rode a blazing saddle. He wore a shining star. His job to offer battle to bad men near and far. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. The doctor is now in. In. why we're playing this song i mean it is the nfl draft right around the corner and that gives hope to all bears fans including chuck esposito chuck what's going on man you know all i can say to you is uh stop bears uh, <laughs> you know it was a lot of tears of joy yesterday when a certain number 12 I uh, was traded to uh, to the opposite conference uh, late yesterday afternoon. So uh, a lot of optimism, I think, if you're a Viking, Lion, or Bear fan, that maybe a little bit of a changing in the guard in the NFC North. There you go. I mean, did you feel that way when uh, number four was uh, traded to that very same franchise going back uh, 14 years ago, Chuck, or uh, 16 years you know, ago? Ha- having those two guys in the same division, T, for you know the last you know how many years, it was torture. I mean, no question. They're Three both decades. great quarterbacks, yeah. both Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and it is what it is. But we haven't had one of those guys, but maybe we do right now. Well, no number 12 uh, for him anymore. He's your new number eight now. Number eight, yep. yep he's yep. going to be number eight. And then we're not talking about Rex Grossman, by the way. No, we're we're not. We're not. You know. You know. I think it's it's interesting because you know you, you clearly make the case that he's the best quarterback in the NFC right now. I think. And, you know, now you, you trade him to the AFC, um, and he's in the same division as Josh Allen. Uh, when Tua was healthy last year, he was fairly dynamic with, with, uh, with Waddle and Hill. You also play in the same conference with Burrow and Mahomes and Herbert and Jackson. Um, so it's going to be interesting. You know, there's a lot of optimism for the Jets, and, you know, a lot of people are, is it – Super Bowl or bust? I think it is for what they gave up. I mean, that conditional, you know, second round pick next year that if he plays 65% of the snaps, it goes to a number one. I think the Jets gave up a lot, um, in my opinion. They did. And, uh, but here's a story for you. And, uh, I'll add this to my, my terrible Tuesday takes here today because I didn't get a chance to get to this, Chuck, but I'll get your feedback on this. The, the Jets, they gave up a lot, but they feel like, okay, this is their time, and they've got basically a two-year window. Well, they're going to make the fans 
help pay for this with Rodgers as well, too, because the Jets made all of their season ticket holders renew for two years. So they only get a chance to uh, get tickets this year if you commit for the next two seasons. How about that? And I don't recall a franchise really ever doing that before, but you're talking about all in. I mean, and, and, and here's what people don't realize is that, you know, when you have these conversations about moving people out or acquiring people and this and that, the bottom line is you to see how many uh, season ticket holders have dropped, how many new season ticket holders are signing up, and how many luxury boxes of those people have dropped or whatever. And that's what's happened with this franchise over the last couple of years. And this is exactly why Woody Johnson wanted, you know, Aaron Rodgers, why he wanted a big name because, you know, people are saying, Hey, we've, we've had enough of this already. And now they turn around and they say, now make, we're going to get Rodgers, make these people commit these season ticket holders that they got to buy in for two years. Kind of, kind of ballsy well, move. There's no question that this signing or this trade is going to put butts in the seats. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you look at a jet team that not sure how many games they played on national TV last year. That number is going to be probably tripled um, this year, that you're going to have them play some big-time games um, on national TV. Uh, they play, again, in a conference that's got some big-name quarterbacks that these matchups, you know, based on the schedule, uh, could be prime-time games. So, yep, a lot of pressure, I think, on all those guys. I mean, you look at the, the skills that he has of Hall's healthy at running back, and you've got Garrett Wilson who's a really young, dynamic wideout. Uh, Corey Davis, they picked up Hardman, um, they, they picked up Lazard, um, you know, who knows who else might follow him there. So from a skill set, you know, position, uh, they've got a lot of talent around him on the offensive side of it. It's really up to him now to deliver um, in what's still going to be a much, I think, tougher conference than what he's coming from. No question. You talk about the Jets' schedule. I mean, it is, they got some heavy hitters on there. There's going to be a lot of those primetime games. <laughs> Uh, there for, uh, as well, because not only, you know, within the division, but, you know, they're out of division foes. I mean, they got a tough schedule, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, great games. Maybe the Jets can, you know, be the team that many people think they can be. Then it could be some must see TV. Very true. But I mean, you know, with, with all the years in Green Bay, they were the, the dominant team for, you know, 95% of those seasons in the North. You're playing in the same division again with Josh Allen. There's a real chance that the Jets are a wild card team and, and being a wild card team, it's it, much different. I mean, you're forced to play, you know, the first week of the postseason. You have to win three games on the road. Uh, so, you know, and those games could be in a Buffalo, in a Kansas City. Um, you know, against Baltimore, uh, you know, against some of these young, talented, really, really good quarterbacks. So, um, it, it's, I don't think the road is quite as easy as everybody, you know, thinks. And, you know, I love today when, uh, you know, I saw some announcers say that, you know, you're going to get a more, uh, a spirited, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers and a more dedicated than the one who put, didn't have a great season last year. And, and my question is why? Why, why do you say that? You know, what, what changed? He's going to be a year older. I think from a competitive standpoint, again, the AFC is the, is the more difficult of the two conferences. So I'm really anxious to see how he plays. No, uh, as you can tell, I'm not a big fan. You know, wink, wink. I mean, uh, a fan of, of him as a quarterback. 
but of course, uh, not against the Bears. <laughs> and there you go. And see, and you and I, uh, we, we, we're on the same page to a certain degree because I'm not a fan of Aaron Rodgers, but of course, uh, I'm a fan of the Packers. Uh, but, uh, yeah, good riddance. And that's the way a lot of Packer fans feel. You know, good riddance. They're, they're, they're tired of this. Uh, you know, it's finally come to an end. And who knows what Jordan Love is going to be like. Uh, I think, you know, I, I was never impressed with Jordan Love, you know, going back to Utah State. He hasn't played a meaningful down, really, of of NFL football, but now he's going to get his opportunity. And the Packers have always been a system-oriented type of team. They've been able to, you know, plug in lesser players at the running back position, wide receiver position, tight end, that sort of thing. Uh, their defense was actually better than, uh, you know, than they thought they would be last year. So I don't know. I would love to see, you know, the balance. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with the Lions. I mean, they came out of nowhere last year and now they're riding, you know, a high. So yeah, maybe we could have some balance, you know, you know, back in the, uh, the central slash north of, of the NSC. I, I love that. The central slash north. I like yep. that. It'll always be the central to me. Yeah, I know. I think, you know, a lot is, uh, Jordan Love, I mean, a lot of young quarterbacks don't get the opportunity um, to sit for a few years. And some of the ones that have, um, it really did benefit them tremendously. He had, I think it was a primetime game last year against the, the Eagles where he came in and really played a, a decent game. We know they've got a pretty good defense. Uh, Lambeau's one of the toughest places to play. He's got a two-headed monster at running back. Uh, a couple of really young wide receivers. Uh, wouldn't it be a shot across the bow to Rodgers, though, if at 13 now, uh, the first quarterback to come off the board happens to come off to the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, wow. I, I don't think don't that, rule that out. Yeah, that's don't fine. rule out JSN uh, if he gets past, you know, Chicago and, and uh, you know, gets past the, the next few spots that uh, the Packers, they only have three wide receivers on their roster right now and all are very young wideouts. And you had a kid that in the bowl game, you know, Two years ago, uh, with Wilson and Alave on the bench, had almost 400 yards receiving. Yeah. I think close to 19 receptions and three touchdowns. Um, that would help a young quarterback in Jordan Love dramatically. He's Chuck Esposito. He's over at Red Rock, and we know how much you love the NFL draft and the promotions that you guys do uh, in regard to that, Chuck. And we get ready for the draft Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Tell us uh, what's on tap. Really, just you know, we we added to our draft prop menu. Uh, T, we put up a, a a DTR Dorian Thompson Robinson with his you know local ties here and being the quarterback at UCLA. His draft position of over or under 151 and a half. We put how many trades uh, will involve the first round, um, and then we put some uh, interesting ones up. I thought you know who will be the second wide receiver selected. A team to draft Anthony Richardson. Team to draft Bijan Robinson and a host of other props that go with our individual team props with the first position player drafted and some over or unders. So um, we haven't traditionally or historically done well to the draft props, but they do create a lot of what we're doing right now and their media and water cooler chatter. And it is a huge event, though. I mean, everybody's talking about it. You look at every sports channel and, and you know, online. I mean, there is there are mocks that are mocked, so and they change by the minute. It seems like um, for me, it's, I'm a draft nick. It's one, it's one of the best uh, soap operas on TV for guys. <laughs> 
Yeah, no doubt. And uh, so we heard that there's been some heavy money coming in on Will Levis. And I know that he was like 40 to one to go number one. And, and now it's down in some properties as low as four to one. I don't think that's going to happen, Chuck, but uh, I still think it's it's going to be, you know, Bryce Young and then CJ Stroud. I think, you know, Levis is, is probably the third best quarterback, but uh, it, it's crazy how, you know, people get information or they think they have it or, you know, there'll be, and since you can bet on, on the outcome of this draft, it's it's crazy. It's a, some of the line moves and some of the money that we see coming in, huh? You almost have to move them really aggressively. Uh, to, I mean, last year, you know, Hutchinson was kind of the consensus number one almost all the way through. Walker was in our, um, I think, in our field initially, or not even in the top five or six. And then information started coming out that Jacksonville was going to pivot, you know, to Walker on draft night, which they did. Uh, I do think Richardson had the better of the two seasons, but for whatever reason, sometimes there's a guy that kind of flies up, flies up draft boards. It really is a lot of information driven. And I think more than anything else, it's a quarterback driven league. We know how many teams needed a quarterback at the end of last season. We've seen a little bit of that revolving door already in the offseason with Garoppolo and Rodgers. And, you know, that's why I think you really could see, um, you know, these four guys uh, go in the top six or eight picks. And I really think Hooker goes in the first round as well. So I think you're going to see five guys in the first round, and uh, four of these guys go really early. That's why I think you're going to see a lot of trade uh, come Thursday night. Look, at he is the draft Nick. I love that. I, I love that uh, terminology there, Chuck. The draft Nick. That's strong. I like you know, it. it's fun. I, I, I've watched it for so long, and I just have fun with it. You know, it's just uh, being a football fan in general and – um, you know, this is when the football season starts for me. Um, so I think, you know, the draft is great, and maybe there's not an Andrew Luck or a John Elway coming out. At least it doesn't appear that way. That's going to change a team's, you know, fortunes or future book odds dramatically. But in the event, you know, a, a Delvin Cook, a, a Lamar Jackson um, are traded that night, and you have, even have guys like Buda Baker and, and Trey Lance, you know, those might be things that maybe alter future book odds more so than any one of the guys on the draft board right now. Uh, but the real interesting one to me still is Lamar Jackson. Um, it, you know, if something were to happen with him, it definitely would change the team that he went to and definitely would change Baltimore's uh, future book odds. We saw it last year with uh, the stunner with A.J. Brown getting dealt. Um, but I think this year you're going to see a few more veterans that are actually dealt on draft night. All right, draft, Nick. Uh, where do you think the Raiders go with number seven? Yeah, I think it's a tough choice, but I think they're going to go DB. I think it's going to be Devin Witherspoon. When you play in a division where you're facing Justin Herbert, uh, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes two times each, I think you have to shore up the back end, and that was the Achilles heel of the Raiders last year. Um, I guess you can't rule out a quarterback, and if one of the quarterbacks appears to be dropping a little bit and maybe drops to their spot, or they're able to trade up a spot or two and grab a Richardson or a Levis or even Stroud if he doesn't go number two. And it appears more and more like Will Anderson's going to go number two. I guess that plays in a little bit, but I think they're going to go DB. I think they really need some help on the back end. And again, in that division, which is arguably the biggest pass-happy pass division in football, 
you need guys to defend the pass. Yeah, you need to defend the pass. And again, if if you get one of those uh, maybe edge rushers that drop, then you got to maybe entertain that and the best player available. But I'm with you. I you, know, you don't even think about quarterback. You got Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's not like you got Jimmy Garoppolo for one year or two years. I mean, Garoppolo could be on your roster for the next you know three or four years. You know, it depends if he stays healthy. But uh, you believe in him. You got him. You jettisoned Jer- uh, Derek Carr for him. So I I, I I'm not buying that any of those quarterbacks that would be available at seven would be uh you know any good for the Raiders. I'm with you. You you got so many other holes to fill. Offensive line, uh, you know, again the cornerback position, which you know I, I hate to see teams, you know, and I call it reach, you know, at number seven for a cornerback because you usually don't see that. That usually doesn't, you know, work out well unless you really got a guy like Charles Woodson that you know that's okay. That's the guy, that type of guy. But I, you know, I, I, Weatherspoon, I get it. The guy from Oregon, I get it. But are they number seven worthy? I wouldn't pick them that high, but hey, that's what, well, that, that's mean, what the draft's all about, though. You know, it's, it's intriguing. Yeah. I mean, you think about, you know, Sauce Gardner and where he went last year and, yeah. uh, you know, how good of a shutdown corner he was and and you look at a guy like Weatherspoon and and his size and athleticism and I think there's there's some comparisons there and you're right uh, Gonzalez from uh, uh, Oregon's really good Joey Porter from Penn State um, I'm not sure it's I guess it's all how you have your your draft board laid out and you know you hear from so many guys that um, you know it's it, who's the, the the highest rated player your draft board more than need who's left and the Raiders case it could be a combination of both that. The highest-rated player left on their draft board is a serious need, and that's the needed corner. You got it. Real quick, Chuck, NBA playoffs. We're going at it again uh, tonight uh, and tomorrow. Warriors-Kings in game number five. Uh, Lakers in Memphis uh, tomorrow, game number five. And then, you know, tonight we got, uh, you know, all three, you know, double-digit favorites, uh, Boston, Denver, and and Phoenix. Uh, what's attracting the most action for you? You know, T, We've, we've really gotten a lot of action on that Lakers series and the Warrior King series. And, you know, I think you look at the NBA playoffs and a lot of 3-1, um, you know, series right now, and except for the Warriors and Kings 2-2 opposed to hockey where there's been a lot more parity. But just need some puppy love in, in some of these games right now. Uh, seeing a little bit of money come in on, on the Celtics tonight, too. Uh, no question about that. Um, and the Suns a bit, too. But uh, we're definitely rooting for some puppies. Uh, no question about it. You got it. All right, Chuck Esposito, get over to Red Rock or any of the station casino properties, uh, especially on Thursday. Uh, it's going to be great festivities there in the book. You know, wear the jersey, root your team on. And, again, uh, you can wager on the draft as well, too. And don't forget the STN mobile app. So easy to use. Definitely one of the best in the business. So bet uh, where you watch the games, NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup, VGK playing again on Thursday night where we know the, the Knights will be a favorite. So, yep, looking forward to that. How about that, Chuck? we got NFL draft and VGK with a closeout on Thursday. That's exciting. It is exciting, see? I mean, uh, Knights have been playing really well. From the fan side of it, love it. From the business side, not so much. I know. But, hey, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to watch them have some success right now. You got it, brother. All right, Chuck, uh, appreciate you as always. We'll talk to you next week and hope to see you soon. All right, T. Sounds great. Thanks, buddy. There he is, Chuck Esposito. Definitely one of the best. I want to thank Chuck for joining us today, talking a little sports book action. And, of course, NFL Draft with Trevor Maddich, nobody better, the guru of our show, especially on the football side. The college football side does a fantastic job for ESPN. And then, of course, a good friend Al Bernstein talking about Javante Davis rolling over Ryan Garcia Saturday night. 
at a packed T-Mobile Arena where they drew over 20,000 for the fight. All right. Tomorrow, right back at it again. A wild Wednesday edition. Make sure you join us. One of my all-time favorites is going to be joining us, Gary Gerald, the voice of the Sacramento Kings. He's been doing it for 38 years. Legendary as we get ready for that game number five tomorrow between the Kings and the Warriors. we got that happening and a whole lot more with more NBA playoffs. Enjoy the game. Miss any part of the show, go to the website. Check everything out at your disposal, at your fingertips at tcmartinshow.com.